I have been invited to preach this morning with a stern warning, never again to disparage Tex-Mex generally or Queso specifically. Several of you have approached me in private to offer gentle correction, as Jesus instructed in Matthew 18, and I have humbly received that admonition and repented of my wicked ways. So let me put you at ease right here at the start this morning. You and your cheese sauce are safe today. You are free to enjoy your queso in peace. We are all God's children, and if he is not throwing stones, then neither do I condemn you. No judgment, brothers and sisters. Whatever floats your boat. Please forgive me for this, but speaking of boats, our Old Testament text this morning is the biblical flood narrative. No, 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 no laugh for the boat joke. If my kid were here, he would be cracking up. Our text is from Genesis 9, which is the wrap up of the biblical flood narrative. Noah's Ark, if you grew up going to Sunday school as I did. Um, as you may remember, if you are my age or older from the flannel graph, or if you're younger, an animated video, after the floodwaters recede and Noah, his family, and all the creatures disembark, no? Oh gosh, you guys are a tough crowd, disembark? God sets a rainbow in the sky as a sign of his promise that total destruction will never be the divine response to human chaos and violence. The pattern we see in the Bible's flood story goes something like this. From chaos through water to promise. In the time leading up to the flood, Genesis tells us every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. People were destroying each other. They were destroying the world and they were destroying themselves. Then the waters rose to cover the earth, washing it all away. And then comes God's promise. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Chaos, water, promise. I think many of us who grew up in church were told that this is what we can expect in our own dealings with God. That this is the predictable shape or pattern of salvation. We start out a wretched sinner, inclined only to wickedness and evil all the time. Then by a flood of God's grace, we're washed completely clean of our chaos and darkness so that we can emerge on the other side of the literal rainbow and then ride our unicorn into the Holy Spirit sunset happily ever after. Chaos, water, promise. But in our gospel text for today, the flood pattern gets remixed from water, through chaos, to good news. According to the Gospel of Mark, Jesus enters into the waters of baptism at the Jordan River. Then he's led or driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he lives with wild beasts and is tempted by the adversary. 
And then he emerges 40 days later to announce that the wait is over. God has come near. Water, chaos, good news. Friends, this is the pattern we are invited to emulate, the path we are invited to walk during the season of Lent. When we follow Jesus into the waters of baptism, the creed assures us our sins are forgiven. We are God's beloved children, and the Spirit testifies to his surpassing love for and total acceptance of us. But rather than our inner chaos being suddenly swept away under a single staggering wave and us being utterly destroyed right along with it, God in Jesus invites us to walk into our wilderness, into our own darkness, in his company. We are led by the Spirit in this season to stop pretending the untamed beast of our anger, shame, or fear doesn't exist, and instead to look it dead in the eye. And not just for a minute either. The 40 days of the Lenten fast give us more than enough time to get downright cozy with the hungry, grumbly, growly parts of ourself that we'd much rather ignore. In fact, the temptation to ignore our inner wilderness is, at least in my experience, one of the adversary's easiest plays. It is so low effort. Most of the time, I don't even need convincing. Give me all the distractions. Busyness, overwork, social media outrage, financial worries, family drama. Oh, a new season of Queer Eye. Honestly, who even needs Satan in an election year? The devil could take every four years off and I'm not sure I would notice. For my part, the quote unquote, staying informed as a quote unquote, responsible citizen, all too easily becomes a perfectly reasonable excuse to avoid my inner work. Why should I face my own darkness when someone else's is of national importance? I can't look away because democracy is at stake. But then Ash Wednesday rolls around like a repentance alarm clock to wake me from my self-induced coma. And because our tradition tells me that fasting makes hearing from God a little bit easier, I turn off NPR and I turn off Netflix and I maybe even close Instagram and I skip a few of my favorite meals and treats, enough so that I notice what I'm missing. And when I notice that I'm hungry or bored or restless in that quiet, empty, yawning void that I'm no longer filling up with all the usual stuff, I try to listen for God. That's when the Holy Spirit invites me to go for a pleasant night walk in the dark woods of my chaos. Let's go together, she says. I bet those wild beasts aren't as scary as their howls and screeches and moans make them sound. We might even find some angels in there, who knows? Here, 
hold my hand. We're not going anywhere Jesus hasn't already been. In fact, he's in there waiting for you. He's already been to hell and back, so even your deepest, darkest funk can't scare him away. Let's go. Like many people, I am afraid of snakes. I have occasional nightmares about being chased or bitten by snakes. And the chance that I might encounter a snake, even a non-venomous one, is the biggest hurdle standing between me and spending time out of doors. I genuinely cannot wrap my head around the appeal of a pet snake. Because if there were a snake in my house, even one I knew personally, I would spend literally all my time obsessing about whether it was where it was supposed to be or if it had somehow found its way into my bed. A few years ago, my fear of snakes was so extreme that my heart rate and blood pressure would shoot through the roof if I even scrolled by a picture of a snake online. Like, what exactly did I think was going to happen? Like, the, the snake-shaped pixels of my phone were going to, like, lunge out at my face? It was irrational and ridiculous, and I felt embarrassed to be in my own company when it happened. Around the time that my ophidophobia, that is fear of snakes, but in Greek, got really, really bad, a couple of friends from college started breeding colubrids, a family of snakes that for the vast majority of them are non-venomous, they're harmless to humans, they're docile, they're colorful, they're eye-catching. And these friends posted pictures of their snake babies online a lot. They posted pictures of mating snake pairs and laying snake moms and pipping snake eggs and teensy-weensy snake hatchlings. There were so many itty-bitty pretty snakes, you guys. I actually debated with myself whether to bring a few of these baby pictures to share on the screens, but I talked myself out of it because my guess is there are a few ophidiophobes here this morning, and I don't want to re-traumatize you in the name of Jesus. But if that's you, I recommend from personal experience giving Cleo's Kingdom Colubrids a follow on social media because those little suckers will squirm their way into your heart. I have not become a snake lover and probably never will, but seeing cute pictures of non-threatening snakes on a semi-regular basis has, honest to God, made my fear of them less extreme and not debilitating. Like following a snake breeder on Instagram, Lent is exposure therapy. Only instead of snakes, the spirit exposes us to ourselves. We follow Jesus into our own chaos, knowing for a fact that we will meet temptations and wild beasts and trusting to hope that we will also meet angels. If you haven't yet begun to fast for Lent, it is not too late. It's never too late to make room for God. 
as you make yourself a little less distracted on purpose, or a little more hungry, or a little more bored, get quiet. Be present with yourself and with God in silence, even if it feels awkward or terrifying. In his wonderful book, Streams in the Wasteland, Andrew Arndt writes, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered into this furnace. There he was tempted with the compulsions of the world to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. When you follow Jesus into the wilderness of yourself, you find out what compulsions drive your attitudes and behaviors. You find out what wounds you're trying to heal and what needs you're trying to meet. You discover the twisted and chaotic inclinations of your heart. But here's the truly good news. You also find your true self, the self that is handcrafted and infinitely, eternally, unreasonably beloved of God. That is the self that Jesus came to save. As we turn our hearts toward the table this morning, let's receive Christ's presence in the bread and the wine as strengthening food for our Lenten journey with him into our wilderness. Be of good courage, friends. It is the Spirit who leads the way.